once again that we can come to you this morning. And we are asking that you would open our eyes to behold wonderful truth from your word. Would you unite our hearts to hear your name? To walk in a way of integrity. To walk in a way that honors you. And would you satisfy our hearts this morning with your steadfast love? How much we need your mercy. I lean on you and ask these things in your name this morning. Amen. Well, if you Google statistics on discontentment in America, you're going to find such titles. The Washington Post, March 2019. Americans are getting more miserable and there's data to prove it. Associated Press, June 2020. Americans are the unhappiest they've been in 50 years. Well, June 2020, we know what was happening. The historical roots of America's discontentment, January 2023. CNN, American happiness hits record lows, February 2022. CNBC, job unhappiness is at a staggering all-time high, August 2020. Involving victims of the grass is greener on the other side conspiracy. Whether you are single and wanting to get married, the grass is greener on the other side. Whether you are making $10 an hour, the grass is greener when you're making $100 an hour. When you're living in a small house, the grass is greener in a bigger house. Not vacationing at all to vacationing once a year or multiple times a year. We have all thought that if we could just get that one thing, that life would be different. That I would be happier. That the money, the relationship, the dream vacation would somehow fix the void and the emptiness inside of the heart. But the grass is greener on the other side is a conspiracy because it is an illusion. It's an, it's illusion, an illusion because, because once you receive that shiny object, the thing that's going to give you the joy, the expectation, the excitement, they wane and you find yourself wanting more. The big house, or the new house, is a little bit too small. We need to renovate and make it a little bit bigger. The salary is good, but I wish I could just make a little bit more to support my family or missions. It's just not enough. And the question is, why is this the case? And Paul reveals to us in Romans 1.21 that ultimately the reason is because we were never created to find satisfaction in things, we were created to find satisfaction in God who created us. And so in Romans 1.21, Paul says this, Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Because Colossians says that, by, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And so are we. We are created by him, through him, and for him. And as we've been looking through a little epistle on fellowship and partnership in the gospel, which highlights a lot of joy, Paul has been showing us the supremacy and the sufficiency of Christ. Has he not? We read in 121, for me to live is Christ. And to die is gain. My desire is to depart and to be with Christ, for that is far better. Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss 
for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. In 3.20, he says, our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. This is our longing. This is where we're looking because Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father. Paul's been shown is that Christ is the prize, the one we strive towards, that no matter the circumstances, whether in jail, whether you're being ill-spoken of, humiliated, Paul is saying that he is content because he has Christ. And last week in our passage, as we were looking at verses 2 through 9, we saw eight different commands that called us to think differently, uh, to rejoice, to be reasonable, to not be anxious, to bring our requests to God and practice all that he calls us to do. But this morning, we actually have no commands in our passage, verses 10 to 14, but we have a very important principle, and it is this, learn the secret to contentment. Learn the secret to contentment. And the reason why I chose the word learn, because two times in our passage, we see this word being used. In verse 11, if you look with me, Paul is saying, not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation to be content. And then in the second half of verse 12, he says, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. And so as we begin this morning, I want to ask you, have you learned contentment? We all know of GPA if you graduated recently from high school or college. Nobody really cares much about GPA once you get your job after your first one. But what about your CPA? If your GPA is your grade point average, what is your CPA, your contentment point average? Are we at a 4.0, maybe a 3.5, a 2.0? Are we barely making it? How content are we in life and how content are we in the life that God has given us? Paul, in our passage this morning, gives us three ways that contentment is truly attained. It is by trusting, it is by learning, and it is ultimately by leaning. And so let's take each of these one at a time. The very first one is trust that God is in control. In verse 10, we read, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. When we think about trusting that God is in control, Paul is showing us the relationship that we have in contentment or the relationship that leads us to ultimate contentment and that relationship is with Christ. Look at the situation that Paul is in. He is in jail. Life is not easy. This is not a Motel 6. It's not a Holiday Inn. This is a jail cell, cold, wet stone. And he has great confidence that God is working. He's in partnership with the church at Philippi, yet things are not smooth sailing. He says that they have revived their concern because before they were concerned for him, but they had no opportunity. And this word concern is the word to think. They were thinking about Paul. Paul was on their mind. Is a positive side of concern. A genuine concern, not overbearing, that leads to anxiety, but a good concern. So they were concerned for Paul, but they didn't have an opportunity. And he's actually saying that their concern was revived. And this word revived means to come to bloom. The idea is like the flowers that are blooming in the spring. Their concern has bloomed up for Paul once again. 
you know, that's a great problem to have. Having a concern, having a desire, but as Paul is saying, you didn't have an opportunity to show your concern for me. So the question arises, did they, get, did they forget about Paul because now their concern is revived or it's blooming? You see, they were partners in the gospel. We read in chapter 1, verse 5, he says that he's making every prayer because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. This was an ongoing relationship. And these two words, concerned and opportunity, are words that are used in the past, speaking of a prolonged period of time in the past. The Greek kind of helps us to understand that this was an ongoing time in the past, that they had a concern, it was constant. That it was, they were trying to reach out to Paul, they're trying to meet a need, but the opportunity didn't present itself. The reason why is found in chapter 1. Look at the relationship that Paul had with the church and the church had with Paul. In verse 7 of chapter 1, he says, It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. Because you're all partakers with me of grace. And in verse 8, he says, For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affections of Christ Jesus. So this is not a forced behavior on the part of the church at Philippi. This is a mutual love that they have for one another and partnering for the gospel, for the gospel to go forth. This was to provide needs that Paul had while he was in jail. Specifically in verse 15 of going back to chapter 4 now, we see this was a financial partnership. We read in verse 15, and you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. And so we love each other. We have this great relationship because of the gospel. We are partnered for it. And because of your love for me, your love for Christ, and your desire for the gospel to go forth, you want to come and serve me. You want to bring a financial need because I am in jail and I could die if I do not get the financial need to get the food and even a cloak that Paul writes in 2 Timothy. But you did not have an opportunity. And so why was there no opportunity? Well, the context of what was going on is found in 2 Corinthians 8, and I'll just share it with you. They had no opportunity to express their concern because of a very severe trial and their extreme poverty. A very severe trial and extreme poverty. That's why they had an ongoing desire to serve Paul, but the opportunity didn't present itself. And not only that, but who was actually going to be the one to bring the gift to Paul from Philippi to Rome? We read there is only one brave one named Epaphroditus, and Paul commends him in chapter 2 and says he was ill near death. He nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. And so whatever the case was, the point here is one and the same. Paul had to trust that God was going to provide from the moment that there was a desire and a concern all the way to the moment when the opportunity presented itself. And this is why in verse 10 he says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly. Thank you, God, that now at last you have revived your concern 
for me. He's rejoicing in the Lord. He's greatly rejoicing. And he's greatly rejoicing because of the relationship that he has with, the, with these believers. You see, it's spiritual relationships in our life, just like in the life of Paul, that bring us the deepest satisfaction. The love for one another, the fellowship, the care that is visible to one another. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, Paul is saying. But very interestingly, Paul moves from the context that he is in to sharing a principle that is going to be very beneficial to the Philippians. Paul is moving from a physical situation, and he's going to use this physical situation to teach the church at Philippi a spiritual principle, the spiritual realities, a deeper lesson. In short, Paul continues really to say, I didn't really need the gift because I had learned contentment. We see that a couple times in our verse. In verse 13, he says, not that I speak of being in need, I mean in verse 11. And then also in verse 14, he's saying, yet it was kind of you to share in my trouble. Somewhat of like, I've been okay this whole time, church at Philippi, but I'm grateful that you had a concern and you are helping me out. And this is trust. This is faith. Not knowing where your next meal is coming from, but knowing that God who created all things, all the animals that could be eaten, God who created all things that live on earth, the one who rules the hearts of kings, and trusting him. And because we've studied the book of Acts recently, we know that this is not the first time that Paul has experienced this in his life. Not the first time when his faith is tested, when he has to trust and lean into the Lord. And so for a prolonged period of time, from the time that the church of Philippi, the Philippians, were concerned for him, to the, tr to the time when the opportunity finally came to fruition, Paul is trusting God throughout it all. And I'll read you a quote about Christian contentment. And this is what the quote says. Christian contentment is that sweet, inward, quiet, gracious frame of spirit, which freely submits to and delights in God's wise and fatherly disposal in every condition freely submits to and delights in God's wise and fatherly disposal in every condition. Is this our reaction? Is this the temperature of our heart when we have a need, but the answer comes a little bit later? When there is a concern, but the opportunity doesn't present itself. And so here is the first secret to contentment. You trust that God is in control. And this is a relationship. This is a relationship that Paul has had with Christ throughout the whole letter that we have been seeing him speak about. About the humility of Christ. About the worth of Christ that he is truly gain. And so secondly, Paul is teaching us, learn to be satisfied in every situation. Learn to be satisfied in every situation. If the first one was the relationship of contentment, the second one is the context of contentment. In which areas of our life ought we to be content? Paul elaborates on what he means by this. In verse 11, he says, Not that I am speaking of being in need. Paul drops a theological bomb. Imagine that you have a need, like Paul, and you need some financial help. Maybe you need to pay off your car payment or a bill. 
and you're short a few hundred dollars and somebody comes to your home and says, here is the exact $300 that you need to pay your car insurance. And that person on the other side of the door says, not that I'm speaking of being in need. Thank you very much, but I've been content this whole time. This is what Paul is doing. He's dropping a theological bomb. He's saying something that's unexpected. And he's already done this before in the letter. When the church of Philippi was thinking that this imprisonment was going to limit the gospel, Paul says this in chapter 1, I want you to know, brothers, what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. It's challenging their thinking and showing that in God's economy, things work differently. That death is gain. That humility is actually power. Achievements and accolades mean nothing but our loss in comparison to the worth of Christ. That having much in verse 12 here doesn't mean that you are going to be happy in life. A theological bomb to, to change, help the, the mindset of the church at Philippi. Not that I'm speaking of being in need. Paul is adding a meta comment, an additional side note, before he gets into teaching the church at Philippi, the Philippians, what he's about to teach them. He doesn't want them to misunderstand because in verse 17, we see this, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. So it's not the gift itself, but it's the fruit that, is going, that this gift is going to produce. And so he wants to make sure that no one has a wrong mindset about this financial gift that is showing up to Paul. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, but I have learned. This word learn is to come to realization less through instruction, but more through experience. There's something about learning when you're sitting in class. Statistically, what happens when you sit in class and you learn to su- and you listen to somebody who is teaching, you will remember 10 to 15%. But those Sunday school teachers who are here this morning sitting with us instead of teaching, if you actually teach the lesson, you will remember 90% of it. Now, if you actually teach the lesson, but then experience the lesson, which God often does to preachers for some strange reason, the week before or the week after, God takes the sermon that you just preached and puts it on the to-do list of Monday through the school of life. Now God is saying, apply this to your life. And so this is what Paul is saying when he's saying, I have learned, not I just have known it in my mind cerebrally, but I have experienced it in my life. I've learned through God's school. What does this mean? This means that learning doesn't come naturally. Learning involves work and effort. Learning involves a change of mindset. This means that it might be uncomfortable, that you're going to be stretched, but it is a learning that you will never forget. It's a learning that's going to shape your life forever. And this is what Paul is saying here. This is what God would desire to teach us to learn in this way, to learn through experience, to learn through applied knowledge, which is what we know to be called wisdom. Have you noticed in your life the things that you thought a number of years back were like an 8 out of 10 on the hard scale, raising your first child? And then by your fourth or third one, 
That which was 8 out of 10 is all of a sudden a 2 out of 10 on the hard scale because you've learned, because you've grown and you've matured in that area. Before, it might have been really hard to fit certain people in. And now as years pass and you're maturing to be more like Christ, it is easier to fit people in. This is what learning through life experience is about. And so Paul's spiritual contentment was not something he had after he was saved immediately. It's not like God downloads contentment into your life. Where is that file? I need to find it in this verse. Download. I'm ready to go. You learn it. And so Paul often uses this kind of analogy when it comes to the Christian walk. This analogy of learning and growing and working hard. He says that we're runners in a race. In 1 Corinthians 9, we're farmers in a field. 2 Timothy 2, we're athletes in a gym. 1 Timothy 4, that we're going to the spiritual gym. We're exercising. We're applying truth. We're soldiers in an army. And ultimately, as we have been studying in the book of Philippians, we are citizens of a different country, which makes the running, the farming, and the competing a little bit harder. (laughs) So if it's more through experience and instruction, what experiences does Paul mention? He says here, I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. In this situation, Paul is in jail. The jail was not like your typical Best Western. It wasn't even close to Motel 6. This is not the hotel that you just crash in for one night and you open the door and you're wondering whether there's bed bugs in there or if they wash the sheets. No, this is a jail that did not have a bed, didn't have anything. And this is where Paul was at. And he says, I know. In verse 12, I know how to be brought low. So what does it mean when he says, I know? This is the idea that he has known and he is continuing to know. He's in a state of knowledge. I know and understand how. This is the key word here, is how. You see, when you counsel most people, when you're living even your own life, you know things from Scripture, but you don't always know how. We know we need to be content, but how does that look like? So I know I need to love my wife, Ephesians 5, 25 and on, but how does that look like practically? To shepherd my kids, but How does that look like on a daily life? To love my neighbor as myself, but what does that look like weekly? Paul is saying, I know and I know how to be brought low and to abound. And so this is the difference between mere knowledge and wisdom. Wisdom is knowledge applied. The idea of brought low is the idea to deprive yourself. Really, to constrain yourself, to mortify, literally to die to self, which is what we have done when we began following Jesus Christ. Take up our cross. What do you do with your cross? You crucify yourself daily to the passions of the flesh and you live for Christ. But I think depriving ourselves is somewhat tough in a land of opportunity and in the land of preferences. And preferences is specifically what Paul's been talking about in Philippians 2. To not think about your own interests, but the interests of others. So, what preferences do we have? Well, we live in a time of options. Within five minutes of my home, I can have sushi at Rock and Roll, burgers at In-N-Out, burritos at Chipotle. You name it, I can have it. On a given day, I can relax at Lake Chabot, San Leandro Marina, Alameda Beach, or Half Moon Bay. I can watch one of the 6,494 movies on Netflix, listen to one of the 30 million songs on Spotify, 
go on vacation on a cruise to Mexico, fly to Hawaii, Europe, New York City. I can live in a house, so I can choose to rent for the rest of my life. I can choose from the 110 different undergraduate degrees at Cal State East Bay. Somehow I still chose business. I can work day shift, night shift, or swing shift. As a half family, you can have kids right now. You can weigh it a little bit. You have an endless amount of opportunities. Depriving yourself <laughs> seems like a word that does not fit in our American culture, in, our consum in the consumeristic lifestyle that is presented to us on the daily. And Paul is saying, I have learned to deprive myself, to not have everything and be okay with that, to be brought low. And so Paul gives us two illustrations of how he deprived himself, hunger and need. Paul is willing to accept contentment with the adverse circumstances. And he also says, I've learned to be content then, and I've learned to be content when I am abounding. To abound is to have an abundance. If you're going to take a million dollars from Jeff Bezos, he won't even blink. So feel free to do it if you can. Write him a letter. Can you still have a lot and be discontent? Because the grass is greener on the other side. Conspiracy says, if you can have everything that you want, you're going to be satisfied in your life. But the reality is this. Because when you get that which you possess, those external possessions do not satisfy the cravings of the heart. You see, the inner person is still unsatisfied because contentment is not related to the external things that you have. Contentment is related to the state that you have in Christ. And so, blessings could be a contentment robber. This is what we read in Deuteronomy 6 when the people of Israel are about to enter into the promised land. And what does God tell them? When you enter and you have the land flowing of milk and honey, don't forget. Don't forget about me. Continue to worship. In, every, in any and every circumstance, Paul says, I have learned. These are very powerful words. These are serious words for us this morning in every and any circumstance. Whether that circumstance is planned or unplanned. Whether that circumstance is easy or hard. Whether that circumstance is something I wanted to happen in my life or I didn't want happening in my life. Whether that circumstance is related to my children or to my, to my spouse. Whether that circumstance is related to my work or to my friends. Whether it's a financial circumstance a material circumstance, a spiritual circumstance that God has me in. In any and every circumstance, I have learned. I've not just known it in my mind. I've experienced it in my life. Paul has been brought through the school of life. He's been brought through God's school. And the reason why is because behind all of it, God wants to form us into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. You see, God works all things together for good to those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. God's ultimate purpose is to take you through his school so that you imitate the teacher, Christ himself. And so what is contentment? As Paul keeps saying this word, I'm content, I'm content, I've learned to be content in every circumstance. What does it mean to be content? And here's the definition. Contentment is not escape from the battle. 
We're not trying to run away from the issues of life, the things we cannot achieve, but rather an abiding peace and confidence in the midst of the battle. Not escape, but abiding peace and confidence in the midst of the battle. The word content actually means contained. And so the idea here is the description of a person whose resources are within him so he does not have to depend on substitutes without. You have the resources within you so you're not depending on the substitutes outside of you. And what Paul is saying is that I have all my resources from Christ. Christ gives me everything that I need so I don't have to depend on external resources to give me what I need in my life. This is true contentment, friends. You have the resources within. You have the resources from our sufficient Savior, Jesus Christ, so that you not lean on external resources. The Christian is not simply sufficient in himself. He is sufficient in Christ. Aristotle wrote this, A man should be sufficient unto himself for all things, and able by the power of his own will to resist the force of circumstances, But we resist the force of circumstances, not because we have anything in of ourselves, but everything that we have comes from Christ. Because Christ lives within us. We are adequate. We are adequate for the demands of life. Adequate means enough. Christ gives us enough for the demands of in our life. Paul is saying that I am in a present tense, continual state. I am to be content. Not altered or affected by situations. And as I think about my own life, and you might think about your own life, you might be asking the question, how how content am I? Do I see the circumstances fluctuating the internal temperature of my heart? Do I run from discomfort or do I embrace and learn what it's like to be on Christ who is a solid rock? And as we sang, that it is well with our soul because we have all the resources in Christ. Paul has been developing this idea throughout the whole book. We are brought low because we are servants of Christ, because we're followers of the greatest servants who was brought low, who took on flesh, Jesus Christ. We deny ourselves, we take up our cross, and we follow him. And so do we adapt to our surroundings, or do we stand firm? Right now we live in a time when it is warming up in the Bay Area. And as it warms up in the Bay Area, many of you reach for that thermostat to turn the AC on in your home, and you realize there is no AC in your home. (laughs) Because in the Bay Area, the 70-degree year-round weather doesn't necessitate air conditioning. But if you just move across the hill, or maybe you've installed it, When it gets a little bit warmer and it gets 80, 85, or 90 degrees, you go to the air conditioner and you turn on the temperature for it to cool down. Now, the AC has a couple units. One is called a thermometer and the other is a thermostat. A thermometer fluctuates and tells you what the temperature is in your your home. And so, it might be 65 in your home or 70 or 75 or 80. But see, the the thermometer changes based on the external temperature and the surroundings. The thermostat, on the other hand, stays the same. A thermostat you set to 70 degrees, and no matter what, it is set at 70 degrees, and their air conditioning is going to kick in and cool down the home, so it always stays at 70 degrees. 
And so when it comes to our life, I want to ask you, do you function more like a thermostat that is constant in Christ, or are you a thermometer that is adjusting to the situations of life? It's a very simple illustration to help us understand the concept that Paul is trying to get uh, to us this morning. Are we content when things in church aren't moving as quickly as we would like? Or that God has placed us in a hard job? That the single years are reaching the three-decade mark? That marriage isn't really like you expected it to be? When things don't go your way, are you content? So Paul has been showing us that the contentment is found in Christ himself. So we've been looking at the three steps to contentment. The big question on the table that's left, what is the secret? What is the secret? Because this really does sound impossible. It's not that I've never read these verses. It's not that you've never read these verses. But tell me, do you never struggle with contentment? Sometimes, going back to the illustration of temperature, gets a little bit too warm in the car, and you're, where's the air conditioner? I need to install something. I need to go do something. I need to do something so that I will be more content. Being content in every situation. And so Paul is saying we need to trust, we need to learn, and lastly, now we need to lean on Christ. And so replenish yourself with Christ's strength. Replenish yourself with Christ's strength. Here is the secret. The secret is that you need to be constantly connected to Christ in fellowship with him, in union with him, and you're replenishing yourself with the strength that is coming from Christ. And this is what Paul says here in verse 13. I can do all things through him, through Christ, who strengthens me. Now, before we continue, I have to say that this is a verse which so many use out of context. The most notorious user of this verse is the point guard for the Golden State Warriors, Stephen Curry. Seems like that didn't really work too well this season. Second round playoffs, they're out. No, no Western Conference final, no finals. But you're not too far culprit from Curry either. This verse is often found on bedroom walls or as a background screen on your iPhone. You quote it when you try to accomplish a goal. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's not that Christ doesn't strengthen you, but this might not be the best verse to use for school exams when you don't study. Or deadlifting 400 pounds. Or coming into a job interview being unprepared. And Christ is going to give me strength. The all that Paul is referring to is the all of the previous section. I can do all things what are the all things, Paul? I can be brought low and abound. In which way? Secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. And so we always need to replenish ourselves with Christ's strength when we get to the end of our rope. When it seems like the thermometer is increasing and it's not really adjusting. We replenish things all the time when they get low. You open your fridge on a Friday afternoon. And it is empty, and you go to the grocery store. You look at your iPhone at 6 p.m. in the evening or your Android, and you see that the battery is low, and you plug it in, and you replenish the battery. You see that your relationship with your spouse is waning, so you pencil in a date night for Thursday night, which 
doesn't always happen. You are replenishing. You are putting into, you are connecting to a source so that you can replenish what is running low. And so what Paul is saying is that as I am in jail, as I have need, as I am lacking, I am going to the one who is going to replenish me. I'm going to the one who is, with all of his resources, going to fill me up with his blessings, his glory, his beauty, his strength. I can do all things. And this idea of I can is this word I am able to do. I'm able to do much through Christ who gives me strength. And it's very clear, Christ is giving me strength. It's a present, ongoing thing. Christ is continually strengthening me. And if I'm not being strengthened in Christ, then I'm looking for resources outside of myself, not in Christ, but in other things, to replenish me. And that's the danger that Paul is trying to hinder us from. It is a true danger in our lives because we might look for an easy fix to the desire that we have because replenishing ourselves with Christ might be a little bit more work than we would desire to do. To be in the Word, to pray constantly and fervently, to lean on Him in the hard times of our life, maybe I'll do something that's easier than that. Maybe I'll go to an external substitute that's going to satisfy me temporarily, but not ultimately continually leading me to a place of discontentment in my life. And Paul is saying, I don't want you to live like that. I want you to be fully content. And the way you're going to be fully content is by presently being under the grace of Christ in your life. The rivers, and I would say even the waterfalls of his grace, and we need to stand underneath those waterfalls and experience his continuous flow of his love and care and kindness in our life. Christ upholds us. He is the one who is giving us strength. I can. I am able to. I'm competent. I can accomplish because the resources are given to me from Christ. God the Father wants Christ to be formed in you and in me. And that's the goal. And this is why God empowers you with the grace of Christ in all the circumstances of our life. And so this is why Paul constantly says, when I am weak, then I'm strong. This is why Paul says, I've learned to deprive myself, because when I deprive myself, Christ is sufficient and enough for me. What a great high priest we have. What a great high priest we can exult in his mercy and grace in the time of need. He lifts our drooping hands when we're weak. Is that not true? It's really at that quiet moment of our life when it seems like we've tried to do other things and exhausted all options. We come to him and He's right there. He's been waiting for us the whole time. He's the Christ who's been giving us the strength. So going back to contentment, it's not simply learning to be happy in every situation, but by being in Christ in every situation, we can be happy. And there's a huge difference. Paul learned to keep his focus on his relationship with Christ and not the fluctuating circumstances. And so I want to ask you, where are you looking? What are you keeping your eyes on in your life when hardships come, when lack is there, when there is a need? Hebrews 12 tells us to look to the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the glory of the Father. 
God is telling us, look to Christ, my son whom I did not spare. And Romans 8.32 is one of my favorite verses. But he would not spare his own son, but gave him up freely. How will he not freely with him, with his son, give us all things? Keep focusing on your relationship with Christ and not on your fluctuating circumstances. Because if we look at our fluctuating circumstances, we'll find ourselves like Peter, who started off so strong on the water, but then looked around at the things that were going on. And fear caused him to sink. Faith causes us to rise. And this is the mark of maturity in Christ. The mature know how to depend on the Lord in every situation of life, not only in those for which they assume they need help. There's another key here that we must notice in our verses this morning, is that Paul is in the will of God. There's a danger here to use this verse to post it for our own desires and our own goals that we, must, that we might have. Paul is saying that he is in the will of God, and because he is in the will of God, God is going to strengthen him with the grace of Christ. J.B. Phillips once said, I am ready for anything through the strength of the one who lives within me. John gives this illustration of Christ who is the vine. What's the idea there? That when we're abiding in the vine, we'll produce much fruit for the glory of the Father. Abiding in the vine will bear much fruit and so glorify our Father who is in heaven. I want to share with you a story of a great missionary, Hudson Taylor. And this is just an excerpt from one article that I read. For many years, Hudson Taylor worked hard and felt that he was trusting Christ to meet his needs. But somehow, he had no joy or liberty in his ministry. Then a letter from a friend opened his eyes to the adequacy of Christ. It is not by trusting my own faithfulness, but by looking away to the faithful one, he said. And this was a turning point in his life. Moment by moment, he drew on the power of Christ for every responsibility of the day, and Christ's power carried him through. And so here comes Paul now, at the end of our section here, making a full circle. And he ends with these words in verse 14. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. Lesson delivered. Theological bomb has done its work. Mindset shift has changed. It's not the things in life that make you content, but it is the one that you are connected to, the resources that you have within in Christ that make you this way. Although I have learned, Paul is saying, from the Lord to nourish myself, I'm glad that you thought of me and helped me out. How opposite of that is today. We wait for someone to help us, some circumstance to change, and then we are content. But Paul learned the true secret of contentment, a life that is hid in the Lord. A life that's hid in the Lord. I, I just cannot help but turn to chapter 3 of Colossians and read this verse. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. 
So next week, we'll focus more on what this partnership looked like. But as we come to a conclusion, I want to ask you this morning, what is your contentment point average? Are you trusting the Lord? Are you growing in a deeper relationship with him? Because just as joy is not situational, but joy is relational, so contentment is not situational, but contentment is relational. Contentment is that deep, inward, quiet part of the spirit that, that agrees and trusts God's fatherly disposal in any and every circumstance. Second question is, are you more of a thermostat or a thermometer? Are you fluctuating in contentment based on circumstances? Or are you standing firm in the one who is the solid rock? And I want to ask you, are you, are you really tapping into the resources that you have in Christ so that you do not have to tap into the resources that are outside of you? This morning... Paul, to the church of Philippi, is calling them to trust God, to learn contentment, and to lean into Christ. And God, in the bigger picture, is teaching us and calling us to the same thing. Trust God in any of every circumstance. Learn contentment and lean into Christ. I love the Puritans because they thought deeply. And they thought deeply because they were in a very deep relationship with the Lord. They would meditate on the word. They would study the word often and throughout the day. And when you are deep in the word, you have very deep thoughts. And Thomas Brooks, a Puritan from the 17th century, he writes these words that I want to close with this morning. Listen to this quote. And may this quote encourage your hearts and nourish your soul. Oh, sirs, there is in a crucified Jesus something proportionate to all the straits, needs, necessities, and desires of his poor people. He is bread to nourish them, a garment to cover and adorn them, a physician to heal them, a counselor to advise them, a captain to defend them, a prince to rule them, a prophet to teach them, a priest to make atonement for them, a husband to protect them, a father to provide for them, a brother to relieve them, a foundation to support them, a head to guide them, a treasure to enrich them, a son to enlighten them, and a fountain to cleanse them. What more can any Christian desire to satisfy him and save him and to make him holy and happy in time and eternity? It's only Christ himself, friends. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your glorious words of life. We thank you we can open these truths and they nourish our souls. They enliven our hearts because your word is alive. And this morning, Father, we just ask, as we go about life, would we be open to learn the lesson, lessons of contentment? Would we be eager to lean into you to tap into the resources that we have in you already in Christ, your Son. Help us to be these people, people who are content, who are joyful, who are living life to the fullest, to be an amazing testimony of how to live life in a sinful and a broken world, to be a testimony to those who are around us who are 
dissatisfied and who are seeking to find satisfaction and possessions that we would be a testimony to them and a light to them that it really is Christ who is enough and that Christ is sufficient. We pray for your help and pray these things for your glory and for our joy. Amen.